The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. And welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, still mourning the loss of a television favorite. And with me is the guy who puts the lime in the coconut and drink them both up, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico. On this week's episode, we're reviewing episodes of Chuck Castle and Bones, but not Smallville, because we will be covering that show next week on the Superman Live Show. And CNN can be seen in over 170 million households in more than 210 countries and territories. So with that random fact, I'm going to pass things on to you, Nico, with TV news. This week, Fox canceled shows Breaking In, The Chicago Code, Human Target, Lie to Me, and traffic lights. But wait, now there's talk that Fox may bring back Michael Rosenbaum's new show, Breaking In, bring it back for season two after reconsideration. If you're not watching Breaking In, start because it's hilarious and chocked full of great geek culture and references. If they are not going to Comic-Con, then they are referencing Star Wars or Goonies or Firefly in about every episode. I'm really hoping this show gets another chance, because I love it. And it's Michael Rosenbaum at his finest. It is, it is. He's great in that, that show. Yet another amazing interview with Nathan Fillon has been done about both Castle and Firefly and everything else that is Nathan Fillon. And it's available on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Don't miss this one, because it is a great article and a fun read. And we just simply love Nathan Fillon, so... We have to give you everything about him. Everything I find about him, I post on there because I am a huge Uber fan. But if you are still scratching your head after the Fringe finale last week, I've put up a link to an exclusive article from the producers that talk about what happened and where things are headed. But warning, that story is chock-blocked, full of spoilers, from Friday night's, or last Friday night's, Fringe season finale. Watch that episode before you read this article. I'm serious about this because yeah. you will be spoiled for that episode. Also in Fringe News, Seth Gable, who plays Lincoln Lee, will be returning full-time to play that character of Lincoln next yes. season. Both stories are available on the Facebook page. In more Michael Rosenbaum news, he talked about the series finale of Smallville on Attack of the Show last week. Unfortunately, the link I have on our Facebook page will not get you to that interview, rather just to the announcement that he'd be doing the show that night. When the interview becomes available online, I'll hit you up with that link. Question yeah. on that real quick. Do they show Attack on the Show episodes on their site? They, they show interviews. They don't show entire episodes on their site, which is unfortunate. 
if you're an iTunes fan and you do want to get into that episode, you can go to iTunes and download the entire episode, but I think it costs $1.99. Okay. Uh, so if you really want to see the interview, which I'm betting was very, very good, if it's not up in the next week or so, we'll know that they're not putting it up on, online and that we'll have to go and buy it. But if you want to buy the show, you can, from iTunes, just look up Attack of the Show under their TV section, and they... You can buy a week's pass, you can buy a season's pass, or you can buy individual episodes. Alrighty. Now, my fifth news story of the day is official word came today that Chuck has been renewed for a fifth season that will include 13 episodes and be moving to the Friday 8, 7 central time slot. So I will keep all news about Chuck's renewal coming as it continues to come out on the Facebooks and Twitters. And tentatively right now they're saying that this is going to be the final season of Chuck. They are giving the writers these 13 episodes with the intention that they will wrap up all the storylines going on in the show. Yeah, and Dan and I have been talking about that for a couple weeks now, that we thought if they got renewed it would be on the contingency that it would be a final season. Now, Ashton Kutcher is going to replace Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men. This news means absolutely nothing to me, but it is kind of big TV news, so I figured it deserved mention here. And finally, in celebration of the Smallville finale on Friday, get the first nine seasons at a discount and get every season premiere free now on iTunes. And that, my friends, is the news for this week. Yes, and also the Smallville finale, just in case all of you were wondering, was very successful. They had very high ratings and for the most part, seemed to be enjoyed by most of the show's fandom and audience. So, for more on that, be sure to join us on our live show Friday, May 20th. It's going to be a great time, so be sure to join us for that. And with that, we're going to jump forward into our episode discussions with our episode of Chuck, entitled Chuck versus The Last Details. Chuck and Sarah's wedding planning includes one final detail, ensuring that the mother of the groom makes it to the ceremony on time and alive. Meanwhile, Morgan's responsibilities as best man include his most dangerous mission yet, as he faces Vivian Volkoff. Elsewhere, Ellie tends to the last details of the rehearsal dinner and seeks help from an unlikely source. This week's episode of Chuck started out with the morning that Sarah described as perfect. Why would you say that? Do you not watch movies? Well, I finally watched Mannequin. Oh, yeah? Did you like it? However, going along with Chuck's fanboy view of the world, this turns out to be a poor decision on Sarah's part. Because as soon as the words come out of her mouth, Morgan is heard crying for help out of the courtyard. And as Chuck and Sarah step out of their apartment to see what all the commotion is about, they find Morgan hanging upside down out of Ellie and Awesome's second-story balcony with Ellie barking orders at him, then Awesome freaking out. Luckily, thanks to Chuck's amazing intersect abilities, he is easily able to hop up to the balcony and prevent Morgan from taking a nasty fall. Obviously, from a plot standpoint, this sequence was very simple, but I enjoyed it because it gave off this sense that Chuck was finally comfortable in his own skin. In a similar fashion to Clark on Smallville, right after he revealed his secret to Lois in the first half of the 10th season. Also, at the same time, this scene conveyed that Chuck and his family has, quote-unquote, finally reached the point 
where they could be completely honest with each other, just added a bit more of an emotional punch to the shocker that occurred at the end of the episode, which I have a feeling is going to once again splinter Chuck's family various directions. Yes, as you probably gathered from my last statement, the monkey wretches that are thrown into Chuck and Sarah's perfect day don't stop with Morgan almost falling off a balcony while hanging twinkle lights. As Casey gets word that Chuck's mom has been captured by Vivian Volkoff while trying to acquire the Norseman device, which is a Power Rangers-looking weapon that can kill people by locking on to their DNA. Now, as you probably can't expect, word that Chuck's mom is in danger means that Morgan is going to be right there with his best friend, trying to rescue her. But Casey tells his roommate that he's not going on the mission. On that note, Casey at first comes off as a little mean when he tells Morgan that he can't help Chuck. But it eventually comes out that he doesn't want his little bearded friend to come along in fear that he will break his promise to Alex to keep Morgan safe. So in coming to the realization that he's benched, Morgan heads to the Bybor to make a montage video for Chuck and Sarah's rehearsal dinner, where it is revealed that Jeffster has been stalking Sarah with a video camera for the past four seasons. And Lester feels that that entitles him to get an opportunity at a first cut of the montage. But let's just say that his viewing detests audiences fails miserably. Dude, that is just unholy. Thank you. Inspiring Ellie to take over. Moving on to the rescue mission, it was a success from the standpoint that Chuck was able to drop a Star Wars reference, which of course went right over Sarah's head. Move it along, Chewie. Chewie? Why are you calling him Chewie? He didn't even eat anything off that disgusting platter. Honey, it's a reference to Star Oh, I love you. That was topped off by Casey saying the classic line, I have a bad feeling about this. Oh yeah, and T. Bartowski was also able to save Chuck's mom. But that's besides the point, because the mission also failed in a way, with Vivian discovering that the members of Team Bartowski aren't just Chuck's allies. They are his family. Plus, to make matters slightly more complicated, Chuck and company failed to acquire the Norseman device, leading to a fierce disagreement between Sarah and her future mother-in-law that puts Chuck in the doghouse. Going back to Burbank, Chuck is not only put in the doghouse, but forced into the fetal position, as General Beckman decides to have Morgan pose as an arms dealer to help them acquire the Morseman device, sparking another debate between Sarah and Mary Bartowski on if Morgan could handle the task that was put on his shoulders. Although, as amusing as it was to see Chuck once again stumble through a domestic dispute that spilled into his life as a spy, the way Chuck got out of it was even better. As he and Morgan, in their best scene of the series, began to hum the Darth Vader theme to give Morgan the confidence that he could take on the role of a bad guy going into Volkov Industries. Then, after a scene where the writers maybe want to explore more with a partnership between Casey and Mary Bartowski, Morgan's cover almost gets blown, as Vivian and her lawyer uses the Norseman device on our bearded friend and the arms dealer that they are meeting with, forcing Morgan to have to play dead. But before he ends up joining a certain nerdy guy on Bones, Casey manages to save Morgan's life by sniping Vivian's dead body cleanup crew with the blinds covering the windows of the room closed. Down on the street, Chuck gives himself the opportunity to set things straight with Vivian, but her lawyer, played by the ever-so-manipulating 
Ray Wise, ends up getting involved in the argument, turning Chuck's words around to make it seem like Chuck's parents turned her father, otherwise known as Agent X, into Volkov to further their CIA careers. At this point, using Chuck's good intentions against him, the lawyer manages to put Chuck at the mercy of his cop. But before he can get a shot off, both Sarah and Chuck's mom open fire, causing the lawyer to fall to the ground dead. But unfortunately, amidst the confusion, Vivian manages to escape. Realizing that they are late, Chuck's mom decides to put going after Vivian on hold to get Chuck and Sarah to the rehearsal dinner. But when they get there, Ellie confesses to also about one minor issue. She fell asleep while editing the montage video. But then when Chuck turns the TV on, we get the biggest Jeffster payoff in Chuck history. The montage video complete and really well done by one of the most unexpected sources ever, Jeff. And that's not all, Chuck fans, as Jeff gets an unprecedented kiss from Ellie on the lips for a job well done. Also on the opposite side of the room, Morgan makes his own brownie points with a woman, as he, with Casey as his witness, tells Alex that he's retired from the spy business to focus on his relationship with her. Yet, with all these good things happening for the characters on this show, including Jeffster, it appeared that this episode was going to end with everything, dare I say, perfect? But wait a minute. This is TV. Nothing ever ends perfect, unless it's a series finale. And even then it doesn't work out right, which means that the accursed monkey wrench has to come our way. And it does so big time at the end of this Chuck episode. As Vivian calls our hero on his phone, telling him that she's activated another Norseman device. And as Chuck turns to alert his team, Sarah collapses in his arms. Now, obviously, Sarah isn't going to be killed by Vivian, but the cliffhanger at the end of this episode did enough to make me interested and excited about the season finale, because I'm curious on how far Chuck will go or what sacrifices he will have to make to save Sarah's life, because I don't see how Chuck's writers can pull 13 more episodes out of their butts and end the series at the end of season 5 successfully without pulling some sort of game-changer next week. So with the knowledge that they say, I have a bad feeling about this, at least eight times throughout the entire Star Wars saga, I'm going to hand things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on this week's episode of Chuck. Wow. Sarah? Really? Sarah? I was expecting it to be Mary Bartowski. Take out his mother for taking away her father. The old eye-for-an-eye idea. But Vivian steps it up a notch, takes out everyone's favorite giant blonde she-male with her new Norseman device. Talk about a monkey, monkey wrench for, indeed. Yep. Killing, well, we assume almost killing because something has to go wrong with the Norsemen and Sarah has to survive, doesn't she? But anyway, almost killing the bride at the rehearsal dinner, that's cold-blooded. Yeah. To be honest, though, I'm not sure how they're going to explain her survival. Everyone else that the device has been used on has died. Is it going to be something Ellie or Awesome does that saves her life? Probably. I'm sure the writers have an out, but I'm hoping it is well explained and we don't feel cheated by some hokey explanation. Now, with all the past, these writers have built up credit and... And for that reason, I have faith in the Chuck Riders. I'm, I'm just anxious to see how they resolve it. 
You think there's a possibility that she's dead? Well, I'm about 25-75, meaning that I think there's a 25% chance, 25% chance that they kill her. And a 70 75% chance that she survives. So there is that possibility, which would make all of season five and this next episode all about revenge, which I don't think is really going to be as interesting for all of us. And it kind of goes totally against the Chuck persona. But we are wrapping up the show, and maybe this is a way. I'm hoping not, but there is still that little bit of concern in my brain. So that's why I said, you know, 25-75. Now, okay, thought process on this. Could it be that Ellie's research into her dad's computer somehow saved Sarah, but as a result of what she does, there's some side effect that they have to spend season five trying to fix. That is definitely a possibility, and no, no matter what happens, the wedding is postponed because it was going to be tomorrow, and now she's either almost been killed or been killed and revived. And um, maybe there's brain damage. Maybe there's you know we don't know what the res- results of her near death experience are going to be. But yeah, maybe I, I think you're right that something Ellie learned. Maybe that's going to save Sarah, but there will be some sort of side effect that, sh- that everybody has to adjust to. So remember when I said that they probably shot two endings to the finale this year so they could make a last-minute decision based on whether or not they were renewed? Well, I think this is exactly what happened. If Chuck had been canceled before the finale aired, we would have seen them capturing Vivian Volkoff when she got away, and the ending would have been the same, minus Sarah appearing to die. But since rumor ha- has it, and now has been confirmed today, that they were are renewed, we got this slightly different finale that was left us with a giant cliffhanger for next next week, and then potentially a last episode that is going to be a little bit different than what maybe would have happened if they had been canceled. So I think right. they changed it up this this episode, and maybe if they had been canceled, this would have been the finale, and whatever happens next week would have been the, the lead-up. So I think we're going to see maybe a slightly different episode than we would have if they had been canceled. That's the, the, that's the main that point I'm, I'm trying to get to here. But... Regardless, I have to agree with you. I love the scene where Chuck and Morgan began to hum the Darth Vader theme yes. to give him more confidence and that he could take on this role as the bad guy. That was awesome. And you're absolutely right. This was, if not the best scene of the series, it was the best reference scene of all time on the series. And and maybe in all of the shows that we've watched, it was the best reference 
especially the Star Wars. That was amazing. Yeah. And I was I was totally into it. I was humming along. I'm a huge geek, so I can admit that. I was humming along and, and having a great time. I'm just glad I watched these episodes by myself because that would have been embarrassing. But <laughs> no, it was it was a good time and I loved that scene. Well, the thing was, you know, I thought we were only gonna get that one Star Wars line about how Sarah didn't know who Chewie was. And I thought that oh, was yeah. going to be it. And then they do this, and I'm just like, whoa, this is awesome. And that was yeah. great timing to do it for the announcement that the Blu-ray was going to come out that week. Yes, yes. And you know what, what's hilarious is my buddies here uh, on the island and I, we are all huge Star Wars fans, and so we're huge fans of the movie Fanboys. And in Fanboys, they have a van that's tricked out to be the Millennium Falcon. So whenever they are fighting over who gets to be shotgun, they don't say shotgun. They always call Chewie. So we've begun doing that down here because we're all giant nerds, and uh, it fits. Uh, but so anytime we're going to the car, whoever yells Chewie first gets to ride shotgun. Awesome. Now, Jeffster was great in this episode. Not only was the Jeff was Jeff's final cut amazing and exactly what Ellie and Chuck needed for that, that scene, but Jeffster was all over this episode. We saw a ton of them, more than we've seen in the second half of this season. It was great. Less, um, the only other episode we got as much was probably the previous episode on the uh, Bachelor Party. But I felt almost like they were more important to this episode than they were to the Bachelor Party episode. So I just I felt like they were all over the place. But I loved Lester's final cut. <laughs> was that was great. disturbing. It was so bad that I loved it. it. It was exactly what you expect from Jeffster. Yeah. And I think that's what made the whole Jeff's cut thing at the end so great, you know, was because you don't expect that from Jeffster. And when Jeff comes through in the end, it was brilliant, you know? And it was exactly, exactly what you weren't expecting. I want to know brilliant. who came up with the idea that Ellie should kiss Jeff. Because that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was about as unexpected as Jeff's uh, final cut. So that was pretty awesome. Too. Yeah, it was, it was, I, that's what I said. It was, it was just a great payoff with Jeffster for once. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think we're going to get a, maybe at least one or two more down the road now that we know that they're going to wrap things up next season I'm hoping I'm hoping for Jeffster doing the reception at the final episode and they get two songs two songs would be amazing also I kind of want the reemergence of rain <laughs> yes if they could get um uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire to come on and do oh it. Oh my god! Oh my god, that would be amazing. That that would be the best way to end that show. It's just a big Jeffster, all-out uh, performance at the reception of the wedding. Yeah, Jeffster does a song, and then we get Earth, Wind, and Fire reunited once again with Rain for a montage. Uh, of sorts to end and we get you know cutscenes from 
throughout maybe the series or just cutscenes to everybody dancing and having a great time and like everything wrapping up and we get Big Mike's you know culmination in this in this last scene that would be unreal and I want I want a uh, a Casey guitar solo oh that would be awesome <laughs> dude he's so serious the whole time that in that last scene he just tears it up that would be awesome I almost want that as bad as you wanted Clark to fly in our Smallville discussion last week. Yes. Now, that's kind of my new thing on the list now. So is there anything else? I mean, I know we're going to probably be having a wish list kind of get built up as we go with Chuck, but I'm looking forward to next week, and I can't wait to see what happens. This. Yeah, you know, I almost I almost felt like at the end of this episode that this was the, the season finale now. Um, that I keep almost forgetting that there's one more episode before we go to break. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to top this episode to get us talking about the show all summer. So I know they can do it, but it's going to be interesting next week. So... Look forward to the episode. It's gonna be it's gonna be good stuff. I think that next season may resolve around Chuck going rogue for a little while. Okay, that's where I'm going right now. I could I could see that definitely. But we'll get to that next week. Why don't we move on now to an episode of Castle that I thought was a little lackluster? I almost want to switch the two episodes. From uh, I would almost have switched this week's episode with last week's episode, in my opinion, but we'll discuss that when we get to it. So we're going to talk about the castle episode, Pretty Dead. Castle and Beckett investigate the murder of a contestant in a beauty pageant, Miss Illinois, found strangled during the rehearsal for Barron's All-American Beauty pageant. As the investigation goes on, they find out that several people had motive to kill the victim. This week's episode of Castle was fairly generic, with a mystery that was fairly easy for me to solve, since the murderer of the beauty queen in this episode fit into a negative stereotype that they have been using on a lot of police procedural dramas, including our favorite Bones. Again, with that being said, this episode did have its entertaining moments, including some backstory revolving around Beckett having a beauty queen for a roommate in college. Bad boyfriends and pageant queens? This is like Debbie Winokur all over again. You having flashbacks? It was my own private Vietnam. Our place smelled of hairspray, perfume, and cigarettes. I'm surprised that we didn't spontaneously combust. I love the smell of hairspray in the morning. It smells like victory. An interrogation scene with a former TV actor that made me feel like the writers on Castle kept something against Bob Saget, otherwise known as Danny Tanner, and a funny domestic dispute scene. Yeah. Hey! Hey! Mr. Barron, where were you between 11 and 1 a.m. the night of the murder? With a TV mogul played by Michael McKeon, who many of you might have recognized for portraying Perry White on an episode of Smallville last season. On that note, you'd think that with the producers of Castle, being able to pick up a recognizable actor who has actually been in movies like Michael McKeon could have his wife be played by the actress that was Gaylord Fokker's fiancé 
in the Meet the Parents movie, his character would be the center of the episode. But surprisingly, Michael McKeon only got two seats. However, the good news with this was Terry Polo, the actress who played Michael McKeon's wife in this episode, for once was not the bad guy, a role that she tends to be casted in a lot with her television appearances. Yes, I'm talking to you, USA Network. Moving forward, with this episode not being centered on the TV mogul played by Michael McKeon, the majority of the time was spent setting up the events of next week's season finale, with the side plot of this episode focusing on Alexis breaking up with her boyfriend Ashley over his dream to go to Stanford, which was resolved by Castle's excellently delivered fatherly advice. Life is a journey, and there is no predicting the outcome. Only thing you can control are your choices, and they'll, they'll define who you are. I would just hate to see you so focused on the problem right in front of you that you completely miss the entire picture. Unfortunately, in the end, this advice works too well, as Alexis announces that she is graduating early to go to Stanford with Ashley, much to Castle's dismay. On top of that, there was a ton of time spent in this episode where it seemed like the writers wanted to set the rumor mill on the internet running wild over someone potentially getting killed in this season finale by setting up what I can best describe as red herrings of who is going to die, with Ryan in the episode, but strangely absent in a lot of scenes. Ari Gross reprising his role as the alternate medical examiner instead of them going with Lady in the episode, and the captain announcing that he's going to retire. But I think that with Beckett saying that the captain says he's going to retire every other week, I think that takes him off the hook on getting killed. Then again, with Castle achieving so much popularity this season, I'm wondering if the producers are going to have the captain retire as a result of a character possibly being killed next week, because they may want to bring some more recognizable faces to the show, or that the success of Castle has gotten these actors their own gig. Although, regardless of why a character death may be taking place, there is one thing that I know for sure. With Alexis going off to school, and a monkey wrench most likely being thrown in his romance with Beckett, Castle is going to need some people to hang out with him in the Hamptons this summer. And Nico, I'm hoping that it will be us. So with the thought in mind that the most expensive residential real estate transaction occurred this past summer in the Hamptons, when 40 acres of land were sold for $103 million, Nico, what were your thoughts on this episode of Castle? Dan, I gotta disagree a little bit. I thought this was a classic episode of Castle. The mystery had sufficient twists and turns to keep us interested in enough and enough character development to keep us overall building on the momentum in the show to keep us happy there as well. Was it the best episode of the season? Of course not. But it was a good episode, absolutely. And I love the Bob Saget character playing the sleazy host of the pageant. I know it wasn't Bob Saget playing it, but it, it was definitely a, a reference to Bob Saget. Yes. And he's playing that sleazy host of the pageant that used to be TV's dad, much like he said, Saget played Danny Tanner on everyone's favorite family drama, Full House. On real life, he is a very, very, extremely dirty comic. Hilarious, but very dirty. Yes. As for the mystery, like I was saying, while I said it had enough twists and turns to keep us interested, 
ultimately the payoff of the killer was not all that great. I have to admit, you're right there. Though it was interesting that the beauty queen was in on the blackmail, because I thought that was kind of a new twist. They are sometimes the murderer, but usually not the one that makes it look like they're being blackmailed and then blackmailing the head of the pageant. Anyway, it was enough of a twist for me to, to think it was interesting anyway. Now, as for your ideas about the finale, I think you are correct that it doesn't seem likely that it will be the captain now. I also think that Alexis will be around for at least the first half of next season since she doesn't start at Stanford until January. Okay. Since she's a year behind, she is going to graduate a semester early and join her boyfriend in, at Stanford, which implies that she'll still be around until the mid-season finale next season. So that's good. Ryan, Esposito, or Laney are all candidates for the death we are expecting to be the monkey wrench in the Castle-Beckett relationship. But deciding who it will be is nearly impossible at this point. They all seem to be equally qualified to be the one who dies, remembering the hint from the show runner slash producer that there was someone from the beginning which also brings Martha and Alexis into the mix but I really don't want either of those to be the one especially not Alexis right that's why I'm going with the three at the police station yeah 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 we'll really just kind of have to wait and see I know we say that a lot but whoever it turns out to be the writers will do an amazing job and will ultimately feel that it was the best choice in the end, whichever character they choose, because they are so excellent at weaving all these things together that yeah. whoever they kill will be for a reason. Yeah, the big thing I, I just want to say about this episode is I felt it was filler. I mean, I don't think that the show's in trouble or they're not going to do a good job next week or anything like that. I just oh, wasn't as interested in this episode as some others and there were a lot of people online that also felt that way but I could see where you okay. were still somewhat interested I don't know if I was so excited for next week that I just couldn't get into this one because I want to know how everything's going to work out I'm not sure about that yeah that's definitely a possibility yeah I mean I wasn't hugely a, a huge fan of this I thought it was a, a pretty average show but it was a classic in the themes and in the in the way that they did things and the way that they went yeah. three different ways before they come to the end. It was very classic castle storytelling. And it, there was enough momentum gained in the Castle and Beckett relationship. We didn't lose any ground. We didn't make huge strides forward. But there was a little bit of gain and there was a little bit of momentum. And, and the momentum was kept from the episodes that we had led up to this, where there was a lot of momentum built up. So that was my point about this episode, that, yeah, absolutely, you're right. It was pretty much a filler episode, but it wasn't such a letdown that it was like first half season of Bones, where you're starting to question why a character did something or something was completely out of character for anyone. So... I thought it was pretty good. And I thought the way they weaved Alexis's troubles into the storyline, it wasn't a direct correlation with what was going on with Castle, but it was a good storyline for them. So in that sense, I loved at the end when he was like, what? (laughs) You know, he was was dumbfounded how this had happened. He had tried to help out, but in the end he screwed himself. That was good. 
I think that Castle is going to lose himself a bit after the events of next week's episode. I think season four is going to get a little dark. Hmm. Um, I, I, I could I, see him losing himself for a couple episodes, but I don't I, know I'm about saying, the whole I'm season. Saying I think the beginning is going to be a little dark. Oh, okay. Because I'm feeling that they're going to do a time jump. Not a big one, but when the new season starts out, it's going to be after Alexis is already gone. Okay, because I'm thinking whoever dies, we're going to see Castle and Beckett's relationship strained. His friends at the police department are going to be... One of them's going to be dead, the other's going to be mourning. And so if it's Ryan... Esposito is going to be in mourning. If it's Laney, Esposito is going to be in mourning. If it's Esposito, Ryan and Laney are going to be mourning. It's just two people out of those five at the, the police station yeah. are going to be, and maybe the captain uh, retires because he can't deal with losing another officer under his command. Or you know, and so scared because that officer was killed. Yes, exactly. And it, it comes close to. Montgomery, you know, Captain Montgomery's, he was maybe in the line of fire or something like that. And so Castle's going to, I think at the end of this episode, Castle's going to feel like his whole support group, his whole friend, all his friends at the police station, his relationship with Beckett, his mom might be giving him grief about continuing to work at the police station after a close call. Alexis is going to be going off to college. He's going to feel like his whole world's falling apart. Right. And I think that's where we're going to pick up. And I think you're absolutely right. It will be a little bit darker for those reasons to begin season four. But I think ultimately we're going to start seeing the Castle and Beckett thing start to get back on track almost immediately so that we have that full season oh, yeah. to build it back up. Although they may do the slow burn this time and go for go for gold and hope that they can get another three seasons and get through season six and maybe into season seven. So if that's the case, then they're going to have to slow down this Castle and Beckett thing, and maybe that means them not working together every week or something, some different setup or some new component, like a new partner, like we had suggested at the beginning. And maybe that new partner isn't going to work with Ryan and Castle's going to be with Ryan or Esposito or whoever the person is. And that's going to put a lot of strain on the Castle and Beckett relationship so that it doesn't get jump-started back when they get back to after the morning period. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can go. The other thing I could see them doing is they may partner, like let's say if either Ryan or Esposito dies, they're going to partner one of them with Beckett. Because Castle was out of the equation for a while. Oh, that's definitely a possibility. Because, really, Beckett should have a civilian partner. But, in reality, she's leading the team that is the three of them. And Castle's just, like, her pseudo-partner. Right. Because they weren't going to... Ryan was a character that was added in the 11th hour of the pilot. Okay. Because a big thing with scripts is you can't have... And I don't know how Castle got around it. But they don't like it when you have a police officer without a real partner. I guess it's a big no-no. You don't do that. They have to have some form of partner. And like how Bones yeah. got around with it is Brennan is a forensic anthropologist. You know, she has some kind of credential. Yeah. Where Castle's a writer, it's kind of, that doesn't make sense. But they somehow got around it. So now I think they're going to resolve that issue. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility of where they could go. 
Which makes my bet on Ryan right now, because they didn't want the character in the first place. And now that they're quote-unquote safe, they can do whatever they want now. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, because, I, I mean, again, I'm saying Castle's a flagship show, and whatever happens at the end of this season is going to be done with the intent of them having six or seven seasons. Okay. So, so you think it's a foregone conclusion that they're picked up, well, they're only picked up for season four, but they're essentially non-written down that they're picked up for maybe two more seasons after that. They have enough of an audience now. I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. I think they've built the audience that the CSIs and those types of, NCIS, those types of shows have. Plus, you know, they've got all the hardcore Nathan Fillin supporters behind it, like us. Yeah. And that's not a small number of people. No, it's not. (laughs) And it's grown exponentially. I'd be interested to see how actually Firefly sales are doing. Because I've talked to people that just watch Castle that really like them and now are looking at the Firefly now because he's so good. Yeah, in the article that I posted this week, he mentions that he went to Comic-Con last year and he saw a three-year-old boy wearing a Malcolm Reynolds costume. And he said that just, it killed him. You know, he just loved it because more and more people every day are coming back to Firefly who maybe never saw it the first time around, and it's just gaining more and more fans. And those of us who are super fans, like you and me, we're converting more and more of our friends to fans of that show just been, who never knew about it. When was this on? Yeah. I would have watched this if I'd known it was on. So he says he just loves that, just absolutely loves that. Well, the other thing is that this is nuts, but the numbers that Firefly had when it's canceled was, like, more than Chuck and Fridge have combined. Yeah, you're just making me sad and right now. Staying on the air. <laughs> I mean, just mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. But all I'm going to say now, because we really got to get on the boats, because there's a lot of great stuff we have to talk about, and that episode exploded with theories. So we have to get on to that. But definitely watch Castle this Monday night. I think we're in store for an excellent episode. I think we're going to get a great capper to an excellent season. So I absolutely cannot wait for this. Again, as I say every week, this is one of the best shows on television. So watch it. It's got everything you want. But I think that finale is going to be interesting. It's going to be very hard to watch. It's going to tug at the heartstrings like the Bones episode did that we'll get to in a second. But it's going to be worth the watch. And I think next season we're going to get a great opening that's really going to be interesting to watch and We're going to be talking about Castle all summer, I have a feeling, Nico. So with that, we're going to move on to our discussion on the episode of Bones, entitled The Hole and the Heart. And real quickly, just before we get into this, if you have not watched this episode, please go back and watch it because there's a major, two major things that happen that are huge for this show. So please, I suggest watch the episode first before you hear this because... You're going to get some really big stuff ruined for you. So here we go with our discussion on Bones. Rogue sniper Jacob Brodsky returns once again, claiming another victim and making Booth determined to put him away once and for all. After we got past the ominous feeling established in the opening that the re-emergence of sniper Jacob Brodsky meant something horrific was going to happen, This episode actually started out kind of fun, with the king of random facts. 
Vincent Nigel Murray, getting the opportunity to work with the bones of a T-Rex, prompting an arm wrestling match that was millions of years in the making. Dr. Soroyan, you are about to witness the first confrontation between man and dinosaur. I'm the man. Thanks for the hint. Between Vincent Nigel Murray wearing an apparatus made of bone and machinery that emulated the strength of a T-Rex, and Hodgins just using good old-fashioned human strength. Yes! That is one for humanity and zero for the tyrant lizard! Dr. Brennan is going to love this. We're going to be the toast of the conference. Come on. <laughs> Meanwhile, as fun is ensuing at the Jeffersonian, we enter Booth's world at the FBI, where he is interestingly given a rookie partner in this episode, played by actress Tina Majorino. Now, if you listen to our castle section, you may have remembered us mentioning her a few weeks ago. Based on her appearance in an episode of Castle. And she's basically an actress who had a supporting role on the cult favorite TV series, which is also one of my favorites, Veronica Mars, and has been on a number of failed TV shows. As a result of this, or in other words, her experience, I'm kind of wondering now if the rookie agent named Special Agent Ginny Shaw is going to be a recurring character during the next season of Bones. Currently, I have two theories on why I think this character of Agent Shaw is going to be added. First up, I thought she could be a love interest for Sweets, based on the fact that he kept kind of saying the wrong thing and embarrassing himself in front of her. But then with that, I thought, what about Daisy? So then I thought she was brought in to complicate Bones and Booth's romance, based on her kind of making it very clear that she admires Booth and she really doesn't want to let him down. Again, this, in my opinion, doesn't really hold up either, because they tried something like this with the Agent Piranha character back in Season 4. But even though I wasn't watching the show at the time, I have a strong feeling that the fans were against a female FBI agent being brought in then. And they're probably going to really hate it now, especially after the Hannah incident. Plus, for me personally, I don't have a problem with Tina Majorino as an actress whatsoever. But I have an issue with a new character being brought in just to shake things up so late in the game, based on our theory that next year might be Bones' last. And that leads me to my third theory about the introduction of Agent Shaw. But before we get there, we need to discuss two of this series' most defining moments, which shockingly occurred in this episode. First off, we got one of the most insanely intense moments in Bones' history. Yes, folks, this made Zack blowing himself up at the end of Season 3 look like Christmas, with the fate of Bones as a series being put on the line by Brodsky in a large crane overlooking our nation's capital, taking aim at the very characters this show has made near and dear to our hearts. And based on the way the scene was shot, I was at the edge of my seat the whole time, because it appeared that Brodsky had a clear shot at all of the main characters, despite them being in very different locations. But when it was revealed at the very last second that Brodsky was targeting someone in the Jeffersonian, as in the actual lab, your words, Nico, from last week's podcast about an actor on this show getting their own pilot crossed my mind. As a bullet whizzes through the roof of the lab, hitting Vincent Nigel Murray right in the chest. As you probably can imagine, Booth and Bones, who are standing right there, try to do everything in their power 
to keep the random facts coming. But Vincent says something to Bones about not taking me, that tragically dies, leaving the great Vincent Nigel Murray behind in television history. Following the commercial, Bones, Booth, Sweets, Cam, Angela, and Hodgins try to make sense of the tragic loss in a really great scene that basically ends by everyone coming to the consensus that they should call it a night, with Booth telling Bones that she's staying at his apartment. From here, we cut to the apartment, where we get a scene between Booth and Bones that is very similar to the scene featured on last week's episode of Castle, involving Beckett, Castle, and the bedroom doors of the hotel they were staying at. However, after a brief interlude involving Hodgins and Angela spending the night at the Jeffersonian, we go back to Bones and Booth to get the very moment that the fans of this show, including myself, have been waiting for since day one. And I sure hope everything lived up to your expectations, Nico, as Bones and Booth got one of their most heated science version religion debates ever as they confront the concept of death, causing Bones to become so overrun with emotions that she's never had before, she can't help but hold on to Booth to feel at least some sense of comfort after the tragedy with Vincent Nigel Murray that has taken place right before her eyes. Then, just as the emotions are about to reach this climax of the romance that we have been waiting for six years to happen, the camera cuts to the Jeffersonian, where Brennan is examining the bows belonging to one of Brodsky's victims, and she starts to tell Angela that something happened between her and Booth the night before. Although before we can get the details, Hodgins enters the room, which prompts Angela to tell him to go away, wanting to hear what happened between Bones and Booth just as bad as we do. But unfortunately for us, the writers pull this incredibly cruel maneuver of having us leave the room with Hodgins. Nuts! On the flip sides of things, we don't get to hear about the night Booth spent with Bones from his perspective either, because we delve right into the action as our man Booth tracks Brodsky to a shipping port, where we get this awesome sniper face-off, which I really enjoyed. It was just really fun to watch. And with this whole sequence, I was able to form my third theory about the introduction of Agent Shaw, because I thought when Booth told her to call for help, it wasn't going to happen, since she was working for Brodsky. But this doesn't turn out to be the case either, as the cavalry shows up to arrest Brodsky after Booth takes the sniper down, with a shot to the leg, thanks to the help of Hodges and Bones. On that note, just because Booth was able to apprehend Brodsky, I don't think that means we're not going to see him again, because we still really haven't gotten a solid explanation on why Brodsky went rogue, other than him telling Booth that he's on the wrong side. Based on this viewpoint, I have a feeling that we're going to get an episode where Brodsky is in prison or on trial, and the cat's going to be let out of the bag that there's some sort of conspiracy going on that Bones and Booth are going to have to solve. Because if next year is going to be the last season like we predicted, a conspiracy would be a great way to lead up to an epic series finale. By the way, I also think that Agent Shaw may play a part in this conspiracy, because I think that it's kind of handy that the episode she's first introduced in involves Brodsky. Finally, in the last scene of the episode, Booth, Sweets, and the Squint Squad pay tribute to the great Vincent Nigel Murray by everyone sharing one last random fact that they learned from Vincent. 
and Bone's doing the right thing socially by bringing flowers to put on the casket before his body is sent off to England. Then, after everyone says goodbye to the king of random facts, they part ways with Bones and Booth, locking arms as they walk off into the night. Again, just because we got this little moment between Bones and Booth, don't get excited just yet, because the fact that we really didn't get to see anything physical with Bones and Booth on screen, or get the opportunity to hear Brendan tell the details to Angela about her overnight slumber party, makes me feel that we have one more giant hurdle to cross before Bones and Booth's romance can be made official. And I think we're going to get some insight on what that final hurdle is going to be during next week's season finale. So in paying tribute to Vincent Nigel Murray one last time with the random fact that Fred and Wilma Flintstone were the first television couple to be shown in bed together, I'm going to hand things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on Bones. Also in honor of Vincent Nigel Murray, did you know the human heart is fully developed about eight weeks after conception, but the embryo is only about one inch long? The heart actually begins to beat even earlier, about four weeks after conception. Also, the human body is estimated to have 60,000 miles of blood vessels. To put that in perspective, the distance around the Earth is 25,000 miles, making the distance your blood vessels could travel if laid end-to-end more than two times around the Earth. Also, for my own enjoyment, the average human being releases flatulence 14 times a day. And Vincent Nigel Murray would be proud of you, Nico. Yes. As for this episode, all I can really say is, wow, what a great episode. I love the big bad character of Joseph Brodsky, and that shot he made to kill our man, Vincent Nigel Murray, was an amazing shot. But tragic. Tragic, yes. But looking at it from a sniper's perspective, that was an amazing shot. Yeah. One in a million. Now, Dan, you and I hypothesized that it would be Vincent Nigel Murray who was shot if it wasn't, in fact, one of the interns because I mentioned that I'd seen him on a preview for the pilot of Alphas, which will be the sci-fi's newest show paired up with both Eureka and Warehouse 13 on Monday nights this summer. So I'm going to be watching that. Ryan Cartwright is great as Vincent Nigel Murray, but I'm glad to see that he's getting a chance to strike out on his own as a main character on this new show. And since he was so great on Bones and his death was so emotionally charged for us because we did love him so much... I'm going to have to watch his new show now. Oh, yeah. And sci-fi now, solid. yeah, the scene where he, uh, Vincent Nigel Murray died was very powerful. Very, yeah. very powerful. And I suspect that he was talking to God or an angel when he said, don't make me go. I know Bones said that he wasn't religious, but in that moment, this might be my own bias. I think he was talking to the angel that was coming to take him away and he could see it. Because he was on that on his deathbed, and nobody else could, you know, obviously. But I think that that's what he was seeing. Well, this show has done that before. Yes. Now, as for the scene where Bones and Booth end up together in bed, nothing sexually happened that night. That's my theory. It was merely Booth being a good friend and consoling by holding and allowing his best friend to cry on his shoulder and get her feelings out. It would not make sense that something sexual would happen. It wasn't the right situation. It wasn't the right motivation. So I don't think 
that it would be the right payoff for us. So those people out there who are saying, oh, it happened, they, they slept together. Yeah, they slept in the same bed because Booth was holding her, but they didn't sleep together in that sense. So would that's my theory. This is an enormous step forward, though. Yes, it's, it is a intimately, that is probably a bigger step than them sleeping together. Because for both of them, sex does not hold, well, for Booth, it does hold a huge emotional thing, but for Bones, it's not yeah. that much yet. And I think this moment maybe made that when they do have that payoff and they do get together sexually, relationship-wise as well, it's going to mean that much more to Bones because they've shared these six years of partnership and friendship and then they've shared this, she broke down in front of him. Probably the only person that she could ever do that in front of. Maybe Angela, but mostly Booth. And thus... Now there's this even more special bond than if they had slept together. So I think from an intimacy standpoint, this was much more powerful than a night of possibly regrettable sex after such an emotionally charged incident happened. They would think, oh, it was just because of what happened to Vincent and it wasn't us getting together. So I think, no, it it didn't happen. It, so, it's not the right time. That's what she wanted to tell Angela about. I think I think that's exactly. But now Angela's not going to have heard that, and so like maybe a rumor is going to happen next week, okay. and it's going to be going around that they slept together, and it's going to kind of screw things up for a little bit, and then things will get worked out. Well, that could get funny with with Bones' dad coming back next week. Yeah, I felt the scene with Angela and Bones where they yelled at Hodgins. It was hilarious, but otherwise it didn't really feel like it felt consistent with what had happened right before, you know, the death and then that very intimate scene. And the mood of the story at that time just didn't really fit for me. Now, I know I'm being really nitpicky here, but from a, uh, a flow standpoint, it just didn't feel right in that moment. I think Angela's brain immediately jumped to sex. Just yeah. because that's how she is. Not, not that I mean that's a bad thing, but you know what I'm saying. Because she's wanted that for both for so long that I think she got overexcited. I think that's the best way to say yeah. it. Yeah. Now, as for your theories about the addition of Tina Major, uh, Majorino, I don't, I don't really know how to say her last name, but I think it would be a great addition to the show because she's a great actress and I like the mentoring opportunity this allows for Booth. And I don't foresee her being a love interest in the slightest bit. She's too young for Booth. And therefore, I think it would be more of like a, a mentoring opportunity for him. And I think that that's going to help him grow and help him get over some of his issues that he's dealing with. You know, especially his anger issue when he has to, you know, take a young agent under his wing. And I think she will be, if she becomes a a regular cast member. I think she will be out in the field with Booth and Bones a lot more frequently. Not all the time, but more frequently. And that might be that last hurdle that you were talking about. Not that she's a threat to their relationship or anything like that. It just adds another person in the car. And so it's not that intimate one-on-one that we're used to with Booth and Bones. And we have to see them be able to be okay with that 
And once they're okay with that and, and being around everybody and still being able to be have that same relationship, they're going to realize we could do this all the time, and then they're going to move towards getting together in a right. a real relationship. So it's kind of she so, kind of acts as their escape hatch. Yeah, I think so. It, or you know, it's going to forestall it going too quickly next season. Okay. Now, I also think the idea of adding her to the show, we could see her as a future interest for Sweets if they explained what happens to him and Daisy. But that seems to me to take more than a season to happen. So I think since we both said we think season seven will probably be the last season, that's probably not the most realistic thing for them to happen. Could you see a triangle situation at the mid-season finale? Daisy and Shaw? Um, I don't think that's Lance's style. Okay. So it would be that she developed feelings for him first if there's a triangle. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, he would end things with Daisy. Sweets is too good of a guy to be doing any, so- any sort of leading Daisy on or leading Shaw on. Well, so, he's, kind of, uh, he's kind of in this position where he's kind of felt that his relationship with Daisy has been unhealthy at a couple points, though. Yeah, I do remember him saying that, but I thought that they had gotten past that and were starting towards having a real relationship again. Okay, yeah. That might be where they're going. The weird thing is we haven't seen Daisy in a while, and I know she's not back next week. Yeah, that is unusual that we haven't seen her in months. So I don't know if there's something going on with the actress or what that's about. So they may end yeah. up going this direction just because Daisy's gone and they need to give Sweet some kind of ending. But if the Agent Shaw character is a regular, do you think we're out on her working for Brodsky or being involved in the conspiracy or whatever? Uh, I, it's a definite possibility because, like you said, she was introduced in the same episode as Brodsky, so that you know that could lead credence to that theory. I don't see her being part of it. I think that she may be a different perspective that helps Bones and Booth to crack the conspiracy. Something that they maybe wouldn't have seen or because they think a certain way or have too much experience, they're unable to see something the right way, and so she helps them to come to that conclusion. I don't know. It really depends on the way that they go. If it's a mentor an opportunity for, for Booth, then she's going to help them. If it's just a third person that gets thrust upon them, Booth's not too happy about it, she's a conspiracy or she's part of the problem, and uh, maybe she's working against them and will, like, taint some evidence that helps Brodsky get out again, or something of that nature. I just don't know. It's really going to depend on where they go with the character, and we'll be able to sort of have an idea of where her character is going to go based on what they do with her in the first couple episodes, or next week, if we see her. Yeah, I think a goal for us is to try to figure out word if she is going to be a reoccurring character or not because yeah. I've not been word on the street about that yet so I think that's a goal for us news wise is to try to figure out if that's the deal or not uh, I'm not I'm not sure other thing is future on Brodsky in your opinion do you think there's a conspiracy in two you're thinking we're going to see Brodsky again I do think we will see Brodsky again I do think he will escape or will be let go based on something that goes wrong that has nothing to do with Booth 
for the Squint Squad. I think it'll be a new... It won't be Caroline trying the case because we don't want Caroline to be the reason that he gets out either. But somebody in the DA's or the the, uh, Attorney General's office will screw something up. Brodsky will get a mistrial. They won't have enough evidence to retry. And he'll be out and doing the same thing again, or he'll come out after Bones or Booth. And uh, But we will see him again regardless. Even if it's just the trial where we see all the evidence stacked against him, much like the Gravedigger episode where they ultimately put him away, or put her away, but we'll see them put him away. But I like the idea of him escaping or getting out and going back on the on the hunt because he is such a great character and such a great nemesis that I want to see a sniper v sniper the one that has to kill him. pretty good. Yes, it was a good ending, but I would rather see almost the episode where he tries to kill the guy with a special round in the men's room from across the street and Booth fires and, and shoots his rifle. I think next time Booth has to kill him. I think oh, yeah. it's going to come down to he has to take the shot and he has to kill him and he has to struggle through that. But he and Bones will be together at that point or they will be getting close to being together that she can help him get through it in the end. And I think that that would be a much f- more fitting end than him yeah. shooting him in the leg and taking him, out, taking him down. That's why I thought. So it was great for this episode, but I think we need to see that sniper v. sniper where Booth kills him. That's what I'm saying. I think it was, for an action standpoint, it was really good. It was really well done. Oh, yeah. I think the end of it was just because I want to do more with him. It's too good of a villain. It's too good of a character just to end this season with. Just yes, like, just absolutely. Alone on the fact that he killed the Gravedigger. The Gravedigger was a recurring villain since season two. So it makes sense that they keep Brodsky around longer. Especially if there's this conspiracy as well. Which would make sense for the show. I mean, if you're going to end it next season, you want to have a big resolution at the end. That would be huge. The other thing is, I think that Booth is going to kill Brodsky to somehow either save Bones or do something. It's going to involve Bones. Very much in the same capacity that Chuck had to shoot Shaw back in. Yeah, I agree. That that's what it's going to come down to. That his relationship and his future with her is going to be put on the line because of Brodsky. And that's what he's going to have to kill him. So, that'll yeah, be I, I think that definitely makes sense. Yeah, it's just it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Next week, I feel like it's not going to be as good as this. The weird thing about Bones is the second to last, the penultimate episode of the season, seems to be better and seems to have more of the season finale-like intensity compared to the season finale. The season finale kind of always seems like a prologue or a swan song on the season instead of leaving us with that big shocker cliffhanger. I couldn't have said it better. My last point was I loved this episode and felt that it was almost too good to be the episode before the season finale. Next week will have to be amazing, which I heard there's going to be a huge cliffhanger that will keep us talking all summer. So there is going to be something good next week. But I almost feel like this could have been the season finale, and we would have been very happy with that. So you're absolutely right that they have a history of making this second-to-last episode, or the penultimate episode, 
better than the finale. So I hope this season's not the same, but it could ultimately be that way because this was an amazing episode. Yeah, I think that's going to be our discussion next week. So we're going to leave you at a cliffhanger with this episode of Paul. I think that our discussion next week is going to be on if these prologue season finales that Bones have have become a hindrance or something that's benefited the show. And I think it's varied from season to season. But we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if this one, this prologue, is going to be a resolution or not. Because last season we talked about that it didn't really work so hot. So we'll see how it does next week. Again, with Bones' dad coming back and some other stuff, we'll see where things go. So with that, are you ready to close up this episode, Nico? I am indeed. Alrighty then. So why don't you tell everyone what's coming down the pipe for next week? There's a little bit of information that they all need to know. Yeah, on next week's episode, with Fringe's season now complete, we are going to be reviewing the season finales for Chuck, Castle, Bones, and Supernatural. And for those of you looking for our review of Smallville series finale this week, you're going to have to wait until next week, or... Yeah, until next Friday for the Superman Live Show, which will be airing on May 20th at 9.15, 8.15 Central on our Ustream channel. If you want more information about the events, visit our website for the live show, which is www.acrosstheairways.com slash Superman Live Show. There you can find out all the information about the event, kind of what we're discussing, and who's going to be joining us. And as a special guest... On that live show, we're going to be joined by Elisa Lee, who is the host of the recently created Young Justice podcast dedicated to that superhero TV series on Cartoon Network. So check that out. And also for you guys to help us, we need your help to make this event possible and have material to work with for our script. And so we're asking you to send us your favorite Smallville Clark Kent memories and memories of the Superman character, in general, to help us with our live show. There's instructions on how to do that on the website that I just mentioned, which is www.acrosstheairways.com slash show. The link's in your ACC, so you can click it there. And please send us your memories and things like that. We haven't really gotten anything yet. I think that was because everyone was waiting till the finale to respond, but we're in desperate need of some information to be able to talk about on the live show. So please send us that. I can't emphasize that enough. We need your help to make this possible. We put a lot of work into these shows, and if we can get some feedback from you guys, we'd really appreciate that. Also, if you want to get those memories to us, the Superman or Smallville Clark Kent memories, or want to discuss any of the big shocking things that have happened as our favorite shows reach their season or series finale, you can visit our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. There you can access our email, which is across the airways at gmail.com. Again, that's a across the airways at gmail.com. You can hit up our Twitter, which is across airwaves. There's no dodge, just across airwaves. You can like our Facebook page by clicking the like button on our website. And you can also visit our YouTube channel, run by Michael J. Petty, featuring all sorts of promos for our big across the airwaves events including our Superman live show and our previous events in the past. So check that out. He's also got promos for all the big summer movies coming out, including the recently released Thor, 
Green Lantern and tons of other movies coming out. So check out all those trailers. They're really great. And also, if you want, you can leave us a voicemail. What's that number, Nico? 773-809-3363. And if you don't want to go back through our podcast episode to get all that information over again or just kind of too busy to check out our website, you can purchase an Android app by clicking the link on the right-hand side of our website. And with that Android app, you can access across the airways or contact us with just a move of your finger, and you can also access all of our podcast episodes through that on your cell phone. So pick one of those up if you can. And as we take you out playing tribute to Vincent Nigel Murray with the sounds of his favorite song, for our Brain Trust member, Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Miko Redstead. And until next week, we'll catch you on the airways. And Vincent, wherever you are, just know that your random facts will forever be missed. Ain't there nothing that can take us at Get this straight. Put the lime in the coconut to drag the boat up. Put the lime in the coconut to drag the boat up. Put the lime in the coconut to drag the boat up. Put the lime in the coconut to drag the boat up. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.